Well, good morning, everybody. Okay, good morning, everybody. <laughs> so let me hear your hands clapping if you're having a fabulous time at the Woman of Color. Woo! So thank you for coming with us and being with us this morning. I know sometimes hearing that alarm clock in the morning doesn't feel so good, but you are going to be so glad you are here with us today. Uh, my name is Becky Moon, and I am fortunate to be an HR director at the Boeing Company. And I have amazing teammates around the country and the world, so great place to work. So I have the great pleasure welcoming to our signature event today for Boeing. And we're going to have a seminar on lifeguarding your career, ride the waves, and watch for the sharks. So you're going to learn more about what the sharks are. Um, our hope today is to have a woman of color, I'll call a family conversation, that is both unfiltered and it's going to be a let your hair down kind of event. Yeah. This is to have dialogue. We're not going to sit here and just listen. This is dialogue. This is asking questions. So um, part of it, too, is we have three amazing Boeing leaders that are going to be joining us on stage today. And they'll be sharing their personal stories in hopes that they're going to inspire you and also to lead you to think differently after this you know, signature event. But before we hear from our panel um, and to help set the stage, we're honored to have uh, best-selling author Minda Hartz with us. She's sitting right here in front with us. So how many of you have heard of Minda or a fan of Minda? And if you don't know Minda, I'm going to tell you personally, you're going to be, I'm confident you're going to be a fan after today's session. Let me tell you. Um, I had the pleasure of having breakfast with her and also being on the bus with her. She is so down to earth. And I told her this, very genuine. And I said, I felt like I was talking to my sister and just having a conversation. You are going to love her. So Minda is an award-winning author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. She is also the author of Right Within, How to Heal from Racial Trauma in the Workplace. And her third book is You Are More Than Magic. So as you can imagine, she is a sought-after sought speaker, a thought leader. She's um, constantly putting presentations and presenting on advancing women of color, leadership, diversity, and management. She's an assistant professor in public service at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service and the founder of uh, Memo LLC, a career development company. She was also named LinkedIn as the number one top voice for equity um, in the workplace in 2020. In 2022, she was named by Business Insider as one of the top 100 people transforming a business. So she has some amazing credentials. Um, woo! She also has a weekly a career podcast for women of color titled Secure the Seat. So with that, let's put our hands together and give her a women of color welcome to Minda Hartz. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo! All right, all right. Thank you for being here with me. Um, I live in Los Angeles, so I would be asleep right now. So I'm glad that you are <laughs> you're here with me. I see you guys over there. Um, we're just going to have a good conversation. I'm curious, by a show of hands, who knows how to swim in here? OK. I like that. We got some swimmers in the room. Um, has anybody, when the show of hands, have you ever seen any sharks when you've been swimming? OK, we got a few. <laughs> OK, so we're going to talk about the sharks, but the ones that show up at work. 
Anybody seen some of those sharks? Okay. <laughs> We're all like, yes, put me, put two hands up. When I was younger, I didn't learn how to swim until I was about 13. Um, I was one of those black people that we don't swim. I, that was in my head, right? Because my parents never swam. I didn't know anyone with a pool. You know, I saw Jaws in the, when I was young in the 80s, so I'm like never getting in the water. It's very pretty, pretty gowns, beautiful gowns. <laughs> but I just did not want to get in the water, right? So, but then I have, I'm the oldest of three kids and the only girl, and I have two younger brothers. So when my middle brother, um, he was starting to get invited to swim parties, but again, no one had was a swimmer in our house. And so I thought, you know, as the big sister, I'm going to call the YMCA. I'm going to take him to learn how to swim because I should know how to do it too. And I want him to be able to do it because I didn't want him to say that he doesn't know how to swim. Like I always want him to have options, right? And, and so I was the oldest in this swim class, okay? It was like five and six-year-old, and here I am, this 13-year-old doing swim class. I had the floaties on too. It was the time, okay? <laughs> so I battled through that, did the whole week of swimming. We both know how to swim. And then when my younger brother was able, my youngest brother was able to learn, then we took him as well. But it made me think about all these sharks. And I didn't realize that I would need to learn how to swim, not just for the water, but the work waters as well. And by the end of today, we're all, if you haven't been swimming, you might be dog paddling, but I want us to be able to backstroke out this mug, okay? All right. <laughs> to understand what we need to do and understand what the waters are like, right? Some of us, we've only been in the shallow end of the pool. Some of us, we go just enough, or we only want to go to the Caribbean where we could see through, right? But sometimes what we realize is when you get into the pool, you can't always see what's underneath. Right? You might be enjoying yourself, frolicking, all of the things, and the next thing you know, do 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 do, whatever that <laughs> music is, it's like swimming around you, right? And so I'm glad that I learned at a young age how to swim because I didn't realize how learning how to swim would help me as an adult. And so I'm a first generation college student, went to a college, got a bachelor's, a master's, entered into corporate America thinking that the water was a meritocracy, that we enter the, the water and everybody gets the floaties, everybody gets to access to the lifeguard, like we all have what we need when we get into the pool. And when I got there, I'm like, oh, well, if you swim and you do the things, you, you get the medals, right? <laughs> That's what I thought happens when you get into the water. But what I realized were there are a lot of different sharks, and not all the sharks have big teeth. Sometimes the sharks are subtle, right? Sometimes the sharks are, you see them from a mile away. But regardless of what the teeth look like, what the bites feel like, they're traumatizing. You don't realize it. But one of the things as women of color, as black and brown women, we start to realize that we start to think, oh, well, that didn't hurt so bad, right? You get that first bite and you're so used to getting those, get bit in the water that you start to tell yourself what well, wasn't like last time didn't feel like last time, so it must not be that bad, right? The waters must be getting better. But one of my favorite quotes is by Audre Lorde. She said, beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it. If you get nothing out of what I say today, let me tell you that you shouldn't be bit in the water at all. I'll just say it again for the people in the back. You shouldn't experience bites at all at work. But when they happen, let us get our lifeguard, let us get our preservers so that, let us get each other so that we don't have to uh, 
drown. When I was in the workplace, I thought I had it all together because sometimes as black and brown women, we've been conditioned to be strong at the expense of our own well-being. So even as we're being bitten, even as we feel the bite, we won't even acknowledge that it hurts. I know when I was in my uh, corporate life, I would get bit here and there, but I didn't feel like I had the agency to be able to say anything or do anything, right? I still would show up with the smile on my face. So if I'm smiling all the time, if I'm never rocking the boat, if I'm keeping my head down, then you would never know that I'm in pain. And oftentimes in the workplace, people don't know that we're in pain because we haven't been given the agency to be able to say that this does hurt, that I am in pain. And we shouldn't experience these sharks. And for a long time, we just thought we had to grin and bear it, that we should just be grateful to be here, right? I get to go on my cruises in December. I get to take my PTO, so it's okay if I see a shark every now and then. And what I realized was that I was not going to allow myself to just be bitten and then have to try to recover. Because it's really hard to have a shark bite and then do your best work. But what we've learned to do is we've learned to multitask in all the wrong ways. So what do sharks in the workplace look like? Well, the first shark that I encountered was, we'll call him Chad for today. And Chad was my manager. <laughs> and he saw that I had on burnt orange fingernail polish. And he said, Minda, you people love your bright colors. And he went on to joke around for 15 minutes about how black people like bright colors. And I'm the only black person working at this 100 people firm. This was my first manager, the Power Dynamics. He was a big shark. I didn't feel like I could say anything. Quite frankly, I didn't know how to respond to that. So what do we normally do? We just kind of laugh it off. And so I would do that constantly, constantly um, tell, you know, people say bring your authentic self to work, but when you're constantly bitten and attacked by sharks, you don't even know who your authentic self is anymore. You're bringing the version that other people want to see in you. And I kept doing that for a very long time, thinking that it wasn't hurting anybody, right? You know, I'm building my career, good things are still happening, but I'm losing myself every bite. I was in my corporate life for 15 years. There wasn't a day I didn't go to work where I didn't have a shark attack. But I started to tell myself that this is just what it is to be a black woman in the workplace. What other way is there? I had no other way, to, I had no other experience to compare it to. If you've never been bitten by a shark, I am happy that you never experienced that because that should be the norm. But when we weren't talking about it as much, you know, now we have these fancy words, microaggression and macroaggression. But when I was in the workplace starting out, I didn't know what those things were. It felt like sexism. It felt like racism. That's what the bites felt like. But I didn't have language to articulate what they were. And I didn't have any lifeguards around me to affirm me that, that's, that these were bites, that these weren't OK. So you feel this bite, but you're not sure. You're like, was that a shark? Or was that a goldfish? Or was that a piranha? Um, I'm not sure, because everybody's saying, well, Chad, Chad doesn't mean any harm. Oh, that's just Chad being Chad. Right, so everybody's affirming these sharks 
So you're like, okay, well, if Chad's being Chad and they say it's not racism, so they must know better than me because they're not black. <laughs> they're not brown. <laughs> they're not indigenous. How are they telling me, okay, that's, I, I believe that, right? Because again, when we're experiencing these shark bites, then we forget our voice. I want to let you know when these attacks happen, because they might, that you have a voice, you just have to decide how you want to use it. And after about 10 years in my career of not using my voice in the ways that I wanted to because of fear, right? We fear these sharks because the sharks are, in the, are the CEOs, the sharks are our managers, they're so-called allies. Sharks are dressed in a lot of different ways. They don't just have the fin on top of their head. But what happens with sharks, they look like toxic workplaces, right? They look like fake allyship, right? <laughs> because if everybody is an ally in the workplace, then why do I always feel these shark attacks? It's one thing to say you are an ally, but it's another thing to demonstrate your allyship. Whenever I'm asked to do a talk on allyship, and let's be clear, Allyship isn't reserved for dominant majority. We can all be allies to each other as well, and, and we should. But I often say if we see ourselves as allies, we have to ask ourselves a tough question. When was the, how is our allyship benefiting anybody? If our allyship isn't benefiting anyone else, if it's not helping the next black or brown woman, if it's not making the workplace better than we found it, then what are we, what are we doing this for, right? It was the year 2014. I had to have a hard conversation after not addressing my sharks. Because what happens sometimes, you don't address the sharks, and then you just have, they all come to the water. Anybody ever experience where you just feel like attack after attack after attack? And I realized that I was waiting on somebody else to save me. I was waiting on the lifeguard. I was doing one of these. And people would see me, but they didn't want to get involved. And so at the expense of my own well-being, I was waiting on these lifeguards, which we'll talk about them because there are some really great lifeguards out there. But at the time in my career, I didn't have anyone there to save me. I had to learn how to be Superman for myself. I, one of my favorite words as a writer, I love words, and my favorite word in the dictionary is courage. There's a lot of definitions to courage, but one that I like is the ability to do something that frightens one. Sometimes in order to, I guess I don't wanna say kill the sharks, but push the sharks, <laughs> push them to the side, you're gonna need courage, right? There used to be these cartoons where they'd like beat the sharks on the head with like a bat or something crazy. We can't do that at work, but courage will be one of the tools that we could use and what I realized was I had a voice. I just needed to figure out how to use it. And so I took the courage and went and had a conversation with the powers that be. And I said, you know, these shark attacks have been happening. And <laughs> um, could you partner with me to remove these things? Because I'm having one of my best career uh, on paper, the numbers, bottom line, top of the class, the whole thing. But this is one particular person that you see it taking place. And typically when a shark attack happens or somebody's drowning, people see it. Somebody sees it. And sh she says to me, well, Minda, yeah, I do see these things happening to you, but, um, you know, this person has been here for a very long time. 
the clients love them. So you need to decide if this is the environment you want to work in or not. And at that point, I had been going through so much that it took everything in me just to show up in her office to ask for support. And I thought that I'd be met with humanity, dignity, equity, and respect, but I wasn't. And it took everything in me not to cry in her office that day because I just wanted to be seen. When you're in the middle of the ocean, you just want to be seen. You want someone to care about your experience. You hired me to do a job, but you don't even want to provide the safety guards for me to do my best. And so she says to me, you know, you're doing a great job. We hired you because we thought you had thick skin. But if you know anything about sharks, no matter how thick your skin is, it hurts. Sometimes you bleed. Sometimes you lose something along the way. At that point in my career, I'd lost so much of myself. I didn't even know who my authentic self was anymore. I didn't say the things that I wanted to say. I shut my mouth because this, that, and the other. And in that moment, I wasn't able to quit. And sometimes when you're circling these waters, you're not always able to quit. And so I leave her office that day. This is 2014. It's a Friday. I'll never forget it. I grab my stuff. I go to my car, and I cry. I cry not just for that moment, but I cry. I graduated college in 2003. I cried for every single year, every single day. Not just because of what she didn't say, but what every other person never said. Every lifeguard that never, ever showed up. I had done everything. I wore my hair the straightest. I code switched with the best of them. I had my Taylor Swift karaoke song, What More Do You Want From Me? <laughs> and I just sat in that car that day, just frustrated, not knowing what to do. I cried the tears of my gra grandmother. I cried the tears of my grandmother. I cried the tears of every other black or brown woman or woman that cries in the bathroom that now some of us work from home and cry on the couch in your favorite chair on the bed. And I thought about the word courage. I thought about the word courage. I thought about what do these sharks sound like? And it just played in my head. I didn't mean any harm. You took it the wrong way. That's just so-and-so being so-and-so, and I was just tired of these songs on repeat. Back in the day, there used to be this thing called CDs, and sometimes they would skip. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and these things were just like skipping in my head, and I'm just like, man. And I thought about the word courage, the ability to do something that frightens one. And in that car that day, I didn't have all the answers. But the one thing that I had to acknowledge to myself was that I had been attacked for many, many years. And the first thing about being attacked or experiencing any type of trauma is you have to confront what you're experiencing. You can't conquer what you're not willing to confront. And oftentimes, we'll say we have never even been attacked because we've normalized it. And so for a long time, I never wanted to say that Chad was racist. I never wanted to say that, I write about a woman named Carrie, that Carrie was racist. 
or that someone was sexist or you, whatever I, um, intersection you sit at, I never wanted to add that in because that was part of the fear, right? We were never supposed to say those things out loud. And in that car by myself, I realized that I had to be honest with me. If I couldn't be honest with anybody else, if I couldn't tell anybody else what's going on, if I didn't feel safe enough to go to HR, I had to be honest with me. And I said that to myself in that car that day, I don't know what it looked like, but I am going to commit the rest of my life, if that's what it takes, my career life, to make the workplace better than I found it. Because I didn't want another person that looked like me to go through their whole career, never experience the true goodness that a lot of our colleagues do. A lot of our colleagues go to work every day and these aren't the sharks they experience. They never experience sharks when it's racial or identity. They get to do their best work. They get to complain about there's no more coffee in the break room. No more printer paper. You know, where's that printer paper? There's no more staples in the stapler. They get to complain about those things. And we often don't even have the agency to say that we feel something so heavy. And in that car that day, I didn't need just a life preserver, a lifeguard. Everything had been so heavy that I almost felt like I needed a chiropractor too, <laughs> because I'm just like, I can't carry this anymore. Black and brown women shouldn't have to carry this burden in the workplace. And again, I wasn't in a position to quit, but I was able to identify what the sharks were. And that was very empowering because I never had done that before. And in that moment, I thought again, I'm not gonna just do this for myself, but I'm gonna figure out how to do it for others. But I started to make a shift, a mindset shift, from not this enemy state of mind of, wow, I can't believe this stuff is happening to me, but this, in, this empire state of mind. I can make it anywhere, no matter what the waters look like, because I know how to swim. I know what it takes now that I identify what these sharks look like. Now that I'm not playing in my own face, and I can identify what these things are, and what resources I need, and what tools I need, and I had been in the workplace, making the workplace work for everybody else except for me. So I wanted to reclaim my agency and I thought, what would it look like when I go back to work on Monday and make the workplace work for me? So when you see these sharks, I want you to think about how do I make this work for me? So again, in 2014, I was experiencing these sharks, but I had a different mindset shift. I said, what are the tools that I'm gonna need because I'm gonna, I can't get rid of these sharks. I still have to work. I live in a very expensive city. <laughs> I can't just throw the covers over my head. I have to figure this out, right? And so one of the tools that I came up with was the affirmation pyramid. And um, I write more extensively about this in my second book, Right Within, but I realized that I needed tools because again, sometimes we're waiting on other people to show up when we can show up and save ourselves in many cases. So when the Chads or the Carries would show up and they'd say the thing, because you know some people in the workplace, you could already think about who they are, they're gonna always say the thing. They're gonna probably always do the thing, right? But what I realized was when the situation was taking place that I don't have to respond right away. I can pause, I can take a beat, I can take a breath, right? This doesn't have to paralyze the rest of my day. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes those situations, those cuts, those bites, they freeze you because you're just so shocked that somebody would actually say that out of their mouth. 
somebody would send that email to you. But so you pause because I'm taking that moment for me. The next thing is acknowledge. I acknowledge that I've been bit, right? I don't have to play um, mental gymnastics in my head. What did they mean? Uh, what was the tone? Uh, I don't have to ask chat GPT what they thought this meant <laughs> or any of this stuff. If you feel any type of way, if you feel like your dignity is on the line, you're feeling a slight, then it's more than likely a slight. We're all grown. We know when someone's being disrespectful, right? So we no longer have to make excuses for other grown people. So I decided I'm going to stop being a caretaker to my colleagues. And I'm going to acknowledge, because this is about me now, I acknowledged that that was painful. You know, I was in a meeting one time, and uh, one of my colleagues said, well, what does the black girl think? I'm the only black girl. She'd been working with me for years. And she thought that was funny. I paused. To myself, I acknowledged that that's not OK. It's not. I don't care if everybody's laughing. It's not OK. And I'm acknowledging that that was painful. I don't have to be the strong person and just move on to the next meeting. I'm acknowledging that for me. Number three, I document it. And not necessarily because I'm going to HR or I'm calling an attorney. I do that for me. Because sometimes when we're in these shark-infested waters, we start to create this narrative of, oh, I must have made this up. And so if you start to write it down, then you realize, oh, Chad, there's a pattern of toxicity here. There's a pattern of abuse here. And I write that down for me so that if I decide to ever have a conversation with Chad, I'm not saying, you know what I felt like in the last meeting, Chad, you were being racist. No, I pinpoint it. I take my feelings out of it, and I make it about the facts. At 12.52 in Zoom Room 5, <laughs> you said, and then again that day, you sent me an email, and you said, would love to have a conversation about this. If you didn't mean any harm, then let's talk about what it is you did mean. I'm putting it back on them so they can't say I'm the angry or the feisty or the docile. Listen, boo, this is what you said. I'm asking you <laughs> what you meant, OK? Because <laughs> you'll ask me in a heartbeat. So I'm, I'm just the same reciprocity, right? Like Lauren said, it could all be so simple. <laughs> uh, redistribute. So I am a member of the former church of rumination. Do I have any ruminators in the room? When something goes down, you just play that thing. <laughs> you play it like a Beyonce song on repeat. You're like, what did they say? Why did they say it? And you're taking that from one meeting to the next meeting. You can't even think because you're still thinking about what Chad told you four hours ago. And then you take it home with you. You, you bring Chad home. You're thinking about what he said there. You're making dinner, <laughs> reading to the kids. You're thinking about what he said. You want to know what Chad's doing? Not thinking about you. <laughs> he, he did not take you home. He's thinking, I wonder how much the Super Bowl tickets are. Oh, is love is blind on? <laughs> he is not thinking about you at all. And that energy that we're taking is actually impacting our health. The high blood pressure, the anxiety, the depression, all of that is stemming from that rumination. So I said, I'll be damned if I let Chad take me to an early grave. <laughs> so I'm not going to be ruminating on you. I'm going to redistribute that energy into other things, right? Working out, eating healthy, therapy, 
journaling, church, whatever it is, meditation, that I'm not going to allow myself to keep ruminating on that thing. And lastly, I'm going to affirm myself. I know some people are like, mm, affirmations, but we have to remind ourselves in these moments when we're in the waters, when we see the circling taking place, when we see somebody else that just been bit, that you're good enough to deserve it, that you deserve a workplace that's humane, that's respectful, that sees you. And so we can't change Chad or Carrie or whomever, but we can talk to ourselves nice. And we can reaffirm ourselves. And sometimes in those moments, it's just reminding yourself, okay, girl, you're good. You are not the things that they're saying, right? I'm more than enough. So what it is, if it's a verse, your favorite verse, quote, whatever it is, your favorite song, to affirm yourself in those moments. And once you start to create a practice of that, it provides healing. Healing from the wounds, right? Healing is not a one-time event, it's a lifestyle. So you have to keep making sure when these shark attacks or these potential attacks happen that you have the resources that you need because our success is not a solo sport. We're gonna need each other. We're gonna need resources. Let me tell you, you don't have to be strong at every single turn. Being strong is not on the job description. Otherwise, we need some bonuses. <laughs> okay. I love this quote by Maya Angelou. She says, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide if you want to be reduced by them. So many times we do have attacks, but we don't have to be those attacks. We get to change the narrative. We get to rewrite, rewrite what the waters look like going forward. When we walk out of this door today, we all get to be lifeguards. We all get to be supportive of each other. When we see the attacks happening, we don't have to let our sister get bit. We get to do that for each other, right? Because our success isn't just for us, it's for the ecosystem. Because the, the sharks that we're talking about today, we don't want the next generation to be trying to figure out how to <laughs> swim as fast as they can to shore. We want to eliminate many of these things before they even get there. You know, when I'm thinking about courage and I'm thinking about the waters, I think back to, this is my mom, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother, and me. And when I'm in certain situations, I think, what does that little version of myself need right now? What does the future me need from me right now so that I get to live my best life? so that it doesn't break my soul. So when I'm in a decision or I see an attack, I, I choose courage over caution because that young me is rooting for me. She's waiting on me to make the right decisions, to say the things that need to be said. She doesn't want me to stay sitting in that 2014 bubble. And once I realized that I had the power to, to change my narrative, again, in 2014, I was not able to walk away from corporate at that time. But the following year, I started my company, The Memo. And from there, I wrote three best-selling books about what it's like to be a woman of color in the workplace. In 2014, if you would have told me about all the bites that I had had, that Business Insider would name me this, or that New York Times would name me that, or that I'm writing my fourth book now, if you would have told me that that infant would turn into the woman I am and I'm still becoming, those sharks didn't define me. 
I redefine those sharks. And I want you to know that you can redefine every single shark that you come across. And so with that, I would like to invite my esteemed panelists to the stage, Sarah, Christina, and Maddie, and we're gonna finish this conversation about sharks. Thank you so much. If you had any quick questions you wanted to ask before we move into the panel, you're welcome to ask those right now. Good morning, everyone. Great presentation, thank you. So my question was, did you ever get a chance to address your shark directly? Yeah, I wrote three best-selling books. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get away from me. <laughs> They're in my water now. <laughs> but no, I mean, when I went into, after the 2014, I mean, I didn't write my first best-selling book till 2019. That was the memo. Uh, but again, I had a different mindset when I went back into the workplace because no longer was I working for everyone else, but I'm like, what does Minda need? What do I want? What does my future self need from me right now? And so it wasn't that I went inside and said, who was going to check me, boo? It wasn't those vibes, you know? It was when certain situations do arise, am I documenting so that I can push myself to have a courageous conversation? I started to use my playground in ways to build me up. So in many times, I'd let a lot of those conversations slide. So if it bothered me enough, then I would go back and say, you know what, let's have a, a talk about this, right? I utilized my professional development stipends and took public speaking classes, certifications. I was allowing this ground to help me, my future self. I never knew that I would do any of this. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, but I said, you know what, I'm going to make my next move my best move, and I'm going to utilize my current playground to help my f next move. And that's what I did. And so I was on stealth mode. I was like, the sharks, they looked like goldfish after that because I had a very strategic plan about what I wanted next. But I knew that I was not going to just keep surviving at work. I wanted to thrive. And part of that equation that I could solve was what I did. I can't control the sharks, but I can control how I swim. All right. <laughs> Hi, ladies. How are you? Good. Awesome. Good. All right. Well, inspired. <laughs> well, we're honorary colleagues uh, for the Boeing Company today. And so um, what I want to do is I, I believe in giving, putting respect on people's names. And so we're just going to go down the line at just, Maddie, if you could start, just tell everybody what you do at the Boeing Company. And then we'll, and then we'll go down to Christina and to Sarah, and then we'll get into the conversation. Sure. Um, so technically, my name is Madeline Augustin. But um, I've gone by Maddie because that was a Boeing-designated nickname when I came in because no one could say Madeline. So um, I am currently the BDS technology strategy leader um, reporting through Phantom Works um, supporting BDS. But I've been with the Boeing company um, as of last month, 18 years. So it's been a wonderful experience. Um, I've grown a lot, and like I said, I've gotten to see different parts of the company involved over the last 18 years, work, distant, and BCA, BDS, uh, BRT, and some a little bit of time in corporate doing some corporate audit work with diversity and compliance. So I'm excited to be here with you ladies and looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Christina? All right. My name is Christina Yupa, and I'm the vice president of the Attack Helicopter Program. <laughs> In Mesa, Arizona. I've been with Boeing for 26 years. 
and thank you. <laughs> and all 26 years have been in Mesa, Arizona, supporting that great attack helicopter, the Apache. And uh, I'll tell you, I started out uh, my journey at Boeing as an electrical technician. I was a mechanic on the line building parts for the Apache. So to sit before all of you all is pretty inspiring. You inspire us, Christina. <laughs> uh, I'm Sarah. I lead uh, Boeing's Global Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, as well as Employee Listening Teams. And, <laughs> yes. and it will be five years in January. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, Sarah, let's start with you. We're going to do an all question for starters, but um, I talked about some of my sharks in the workplace. Uh, would love to hear uh, what maybe a shark was that you had to experience and how you navigated it. So, because I lead global equity, diversity, and inclusion, I, I'm always up to my knees in those shark-infested waters, right? <laughs> we are a change function and there's a lot of resistance to change in general. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of attachment to status quo. And, and Boeing is a risk averse place. So I've got teammates from my team here who are with me in those waters. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, the sharks are um, confronting those opposed to the change, resistant to it, as well as my own emotions um, in because I see things as so so much the right thing to do that it's hard not to get angry or indignant when others don't come along so I'll I'll give an example uh, it's 2020 we've all just witnessed the murder of George Floyd uh, our company came out and took a really strong stand against racism and I'm so proud of the company for doing that but just saying we're gonna be against racism isn't enough. And so one of the things that happened was a few teammates would show up to work wearing Black Lives Matter. And there was pushback because Black Lives Matter clearly was a political statement and we couldn't allow political statements in the workplace, especially one as divisive as Black Lives Matter. Uh, and so I heard about this decision to prohibit teammates from wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And okay, it was very emotional. Um, and deciding to wade into those shark-infested waters to have the conversation um, was a little scary, especially because I was so new and I, and there was, you know, um, but, it's that what you said at the beginning about grounding yourself in the why. And what really helped me in that situation was, uh, I don't know if any of you remember that there was an image of a little girl and she had these pigtails and purple sunglasses on her, on her head and she had a sign that said, we said black lives matter, never only black lives matter. We know all lives matter. We just need your help for black lives are in danger. And it was so powerful, that image of that little girl. It's actually, she, she's the person who gave me strength in that conversation. And I actually used her image to help 
um, educate others about the meaning of Black, about black Lives Matter. Um, and it helped me also navigate my own emotion through that situation. Like what you said about documenting, yeah. it was like I had to take a moment to say, this is, this is the issue at hand. Here's why it's important to confront the sharks. And here's the good that can come of it. And so oh, that's one of, one of many, many, <laughs> many, many examples. Well, thank you, um, Sarah, for that, because that took a lot of courage. And courage, it's easy for us to be cautious, but so many, so many people benefit from courage, right? We are all beneficiaries of somebody else's courage. So thank you for making that call, because there's a lot of people who have similar roles that wouldn't have even brought it up. They would have just said, okay, we're not wearing the shirt, sent the email, and moved on, right? So thank you for that. Just want to acknowledge that. Christina, uh, you're sharks, or a shark. Yes. So, you know, when I thought about um, shark-infested waters, it reminded me of a story, actually, back in uh, 2021. It was early 2021. Y'all remember what was going on in 2021? <laughs> so we're in the pandemic. We have a lot of political unrest. We have a lot of racial tensions in our country. And myself and three or two other uh, black executives, we shot a video for Black History Month. And at the end of the video, we yelled, attack. The reason we yelled attack is because the video, we were trying to get some excitement around Black History Month. Most of the folks were working from home. So we were trying to foot stomp for BBEA, our Black uh, Employees yes, <laughs> Association, <laughs> to, get, to get some excitement, to get some engagement around Black History Month at our Mesa site. And we yelled attack because we work for the Mesa site who builds attack helicopters, okay? Attack helicopters. And this video, shot it, put it up in our internal internet, and we were met with so much injustice. And I'm, t I'm still mad about it today. <laughs> and in that moment, there was so much anger that I was holding, resentment, hostility. And I'll tell you, I tell you this story because not only do we have to look for sharks, but we can't become the sharks. Because I was mad. And there's people in this room who know I was mad. <laughs> and I cried because I felt so bit in so many different ways as a leader. But we cannot fight these injustices with the same hatred that we receive. And so from the great words of Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. Yeah. And that's what we do. Thank you for that. And, and that's true. Uh, sharks doesn't have a identity, a race. Like the sharks can look like you and me. So let's not become those, those sharks either. So thank you for that. Maddie? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to take a different spin to mine. So I'm going to go back to my early days with the company. So my early days with the Boeing company, I came into the company in 2005 as a newly minted engineer coming out of college. And my first assignment was with the Chinook program in Philadelphia as a stress engineer. 
When I say I have never been more excited to be a part of a organization, a company loving the model, that I never had to go through a, a third party to get to the highest leader in the company. I was like, I am game, I'm ready, I'm excited. Um, I met with the director upon you know, entering the company. He made me feel so welcome. He's like, you need anything, you call me, you tell me what it is and we'll make it happen. I'm like, I love this, right? <laughs> um, met with the tech fellowship folks. They saw my background in research. They're like, we can't wait to have you start with us. Again, all exciting. Then I meet my team. <laughs> Again, the group you saw coming in, you're like, okay, everyone must be like this. Um, and my lead at the time felt it was necessary to let me know that I'm only here because I was a criteria they needed to meet for the contract. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Again, new to this, don't know what this is about. Oh yeah, we need to have diverse people on the team and you know, we were gonna, you, you're that person. I was like, oh, okay. And oh, by the way, here's a stack of manuals that you need to memorize and walks away. That was my introduction to what we do here in stress. That's odd. Now, mind you, this is first week on the job, getting to know the team. Other folks coming by to meet me formally to say, hi, how you doing? Welcome to the team. Some folks felt it necessary to say, hey, I applied for that job too. Oh, gosh. And I didn't get it. What did you bring to the table that I missed out on? I was like, what? I didn't know this was a competition. I just thought y'all <laughs> thought I was the best fit for the job, and I can't wait to be part of what's going on here. Um, there is someone who is a contractor on the team who felt, hey, I've been supporting this as a contractor for the last eight years, and I thought I brought the best set of skills to this job, and I didn't get it. Don't know you from Adam, don't know what the reasons were, but happy to be part of the team yet again. Um, same thing with someone who had been a direct report on the program, but wanted to transition to structures, and they didn't get it again. Maybe you were overqualified and they want someone at a lower level. I don't know what the reasons were either. But this made me hyperly aware of all the folks that were looking out for me to fail as I was trying to thrive in this new environment that I was being introduced to. And at that point, I was like on a defensive. I was like, every single thing I said, I want to make sure I was saying it right, that my data was matching and that I was worth my weight in gold in every assignment I was given. I came in early, I stayed late, I came in on the weekends. I made sure I triple proof every report I put out. But for some reason I would get dinged because it was missing a period. I was like, what? Okay, but yet my colleagues who didn't have any of the stuff that I had that clearly gave you the coordinate system of what we needed to track and meeting the criteria that the government gave us. No one ever mentioned that. I'm like, I called it out during a peer review, but obviously that wasn't hurt. I'm like, okay. So I had to change the game. I think for me to change my narrative is not to have a victim mentality and not to succumb to the fact that there were pressures making me feel unsure of myself, questioning my abilities. Um, I will say I was highly engaged in a bunch of these conferences and I think had I not, already knew the circuit and know where to go to find inspiration, I probably would have quit. And in mind you, I've thought many a times to say, you know what, maybe this is not for me. I went from an environment that I was familiar and I was excelling in in academia to a world that I didn't know. And hearing just roadblocks after roadblocks, challenges after challenges, obstacles after obstacles within the first six months on the job. So I was like, all right, well, I need allies. 
who could those allies be? Um, at the time, coming in, I think it was the first uh, entry-level hire they had in over a 10, 15-year period. So I had no others in my ranks that I could kind of, hey, what did you guys do to make it here? Um, I think the, the closest person I could find was to head down in their own thing, trying to survive their sharks, mm -hmm. that they couldn't take the time out to help. So found, found folks that didn't look like me. Don't yep. talk, don't, that's part of your next oh, question. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. But, don't get but, to that part yet. But to tell you the truth, allyship became a resource. Um, advocating for myself in a way that was unconventional by deriving it through data. And then also being able to push back when it was clearly an unfair advantage to everyone else on the team. So yeah, that was my take, but yes. Oh, good. Well, I want to save some for the next question, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure many of you are resonating with these stories because these are, nobody puts that on the job description when they hire us, that these, this is the other, what is that fine print that nobody, that you need like real big bifocals to be able to see? Like, I didn't know that this was a thing. And the one thing that I wanna just remind everybody is, even if somebody else calls you a diversity hire or checking the box, you probably should have had that role like 10 years ago, five years ago, so you're right where you need to be. That's their problem. Uh, I don't pick up other people's luggage. I leave that with them. So that's a mindset shift. Sometimes we take that baggage. Erica Badu said one day all those bags are gonna get in your way, so pack light. I pack light and I don't bring other people's biases with me. And so remember that too, that you deserve every room you enter, but not every room deserves to have you. Yes. Period, okay? <laughs> Period. Um, Sarah, I want to go back to you, and we know that sharks are there. We know the, you know, they're <laughs> the ones we see, the ones we're not prepared for, the whole nine. But how have you learned to make them learning experiences to kind of turn your, you know, lemons into lemonade? What are, what can you share with the group today? Well, one of the things, and what you said, Maddie, really resonated with me about how much harder you had to work, right? And everyone in this room, you've had to work five times harder than the guy next to you to get where you are. That's the reality. And I think it's easy to start to resent that, right? Start to resent those long hours you're spending when no one else has to do it. Um, but one of the things I have realized is, yes, I've worked five times harder. And guess what? That makes me five times more expert, five times smarter, and five times better. I am the best person to do X, Y, and Z because, yes, I have had to work that much harder, and that becomes a superpower. Um, and but but it's it's not always easy. I mean, there are still moments where it's like, God, really? But one of the things that I've I've worked on, and that has really helped me, is to stop resenting and to start celebrating how great we become because of how hard we work. Mm -hmm. And we are fabulous uh, women in this room, and the women you all represent. Um, don't ever forget that. Mm -hmm. Those experiences, every single day that you navigate, every extra time you have to pour over that manual so it's locked in your steel trap up there, <laughs> that makes you better than the person next to you. And it, it um, in some ways, is a gift rather than a burden. Yeah, absolutely. Like Beyonce said, I'm that girl. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think, but I am, I am that girl. So we have to remind ourselves of that and take that, that with us. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Christina, I want to go to you. Uh, 
We know, again, that there's going to be sharks at various turns. The sharks don't go away when you get to a certain level no, in your don't. career. <laughs> so, um, but how more. we navigate them is important. <laughs> and I often say that you know, success is not a solo sport. There, in my life, even though I had some really hard times in the workplace, I had a, some lifeguards along the way that made things a little bit easier, that make me a better uh, surfer of those waves when they came. Uh, and a gentleman that I write about in all my books is Chuck. You know, many of us have these people in our lives that make things a little bit easier. Would love to hear from you about a lifeguard or you know, someone, an ally, a sponsor, a mentor that just helped you along the way. Yeah, I have a Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I was, when I was coming up um, in my career, you know, I had to look for allyship and a lot of mentors who didn't look like me and build those connections. And there was one individual who was so instrumental in my career. And uh, I think I was sharing this story uh, yesterday. You know who he is, don't you? <laughs> and he used to go to the lunchroom every day at 11.30, and I stalked him. <laughs> 11.30 would roll around, and I would just so happen to be right next to him getting my lunch at the same time. And uh, he, was, he was an amazing, an amazing, amazing leader. And I still uh, work with him uh, today. And uh, we'd be in the child line getting our, our lunch, and I, I would say to him, you know, you know, how are you doing? Try to strike up some conversation to get to know him. He said, hey, my name's Christina. And I'll tell you, he knew my name. He remembered my kids' names. He took an interest in me. He saw me. And I had moved out of, uh, out of operations for a time after I earned my degree. And I was working in HR. And I swiftly found out that wasn't the thing for me. And I wanted to go back <laughs> to execution. And uh, he, th this gentleman, he had a chief of staff position that opened up. And uh, I saw it opened up. And I'm like, I know where to find him. 11.30, you know where I was, <laughs> chow hall. And I said, you know, hey, uh, I, I saw your chief of staff position open up, and I, I just want to let you know I'm applying. And he said, that's terrific. I thought you would. <laughs> and I got to the interview. I mucked it up. I can't even tell you. Worst interview ever. <laughs> but at the end of the interview, I told him and the panel, I said, I, I may not be the most polished in answering all these questions today, but... I will tell you, there is no one more passionate than me, no one who will put in the time as me and support you and support this team in Mesa. And I end up getting the job. And that was, I'll tell you, that was uh, one of the most pivotal moments in my career. Well, we're happy for you. Uh, <laughs> what, what was your check's name? Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> Yeah, this was early in my career. It was uh, in the early 2000s, and uh, he, was the, he was the leader, the director of operations back in those days. And, and I'll tell you, he took me under his wing. He taught me everything about the business side of the Apache program. And later, one of my greatest mentors, who's actually in this room today too, KJ, she saw that sparkle in me. And she has been such an inspiration uh, to me. And having a woman of color as your leader who understands what you're going through 
So you go into her office and say, oh, I need to vent. And she gets it. So she's been an ally. But one of the things that she's taught me coming up is that I have to be the lifeguard too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to pay it forward because there are other young women who are going through the same things that we faced coming up. And that's probably one of the most profound, you know, things that KJ has taught me. So thank you, KJ. Thank you, KJ. <laughs> shout, shout out to the people who see who see us, right? And um, the Chucks, the KJs, the Johnnies, the the others yeah. that that see us because of we need those people, and and so let us be that for somebody else as well. Yeah. Maddie would love to hear about a lifeguard too, because sometimes we feel like there are none. But these stories are important because there are people who see you. There are people, when they ask you, what do you need from me? You, that opens up the conversation for you to say, I know exactly how you can help me. <laughs> right? And so, uh, Maddie would love to hear your and stories. And I will say my lifeguard did not look like me. Um, I'd always thought that if I had someone that looked like me in the room, they'd be my biggest advocate. And I got a quick wake-up call. That is not true. Okay. Um, I found myself in a weird position when that person that didn't look like me was the one I was defending myself against. So I, I quickly changed up my strategy and what my lifeguards looked like. Um, I'm going to have to go back to my time in BRNT Born Research and Technology. The VP of our Manufacturing Materials Technology Center was my biggest advocate, where everyone failed to represent and come to the table to fight for me. He took a personal interest to drive it home. I had applied to 168 K-levels, trying to get my next big opportunity over an 18-month period. Didn't land a single interview. And I knew I was qualified because I tested that outside the company. I was being sought out for director, senior manager, and a bunch of other opportunities. But within my own company, where they've invested over 15 years in me, couldn't land that one get your foot through the door opportunity. I've never seen a leader take his own personal time. If we were traveling together and we were in the same city, hey, let's meet up at the Sky Lounge and lunch is on me, all right? Um, we bonded over family, life, what we think we need to be strategizing to get you set up for the next opportunity. To this day, if I needed anything, I could call him and he would give me the best advice that he can be like, look at it strategically. What are the messages you wanna put out there and who do you wanna receive it and understand your position? So. I cannot thank this individual enough. And every time I think about it, I kind of get emotional. Yeah. But had it not been for him, I would have been no longer with the company. I would have actually parted ways um, a few years ago. So, Thank you. Thank you for that story. We're glad you're still here. We're glad that you had that person. And so I know oftentimes we don't have lifeguards that always look like us, but let's be that. Let's change that narrative, too. You don't have to be in the C-suite to be a lifeguard. It, Lifeguard, you can speak someone else's name in every room you're in. We all get to be that for somebody else. So uh, you're all for officially certified as lifeguards when you walk out of this door, okay? <laughs> hi. I'm, hi, I'm Jasmine Kilpatrick. Jasmine. Uh, I just got in the Quality Career Foundation program at Boeing. Um, and I'm also the leader for the BBEA Puget Sound area. What are your all's tips for maybe up-and-coming leaders like me that are dealing with the sharks in DE&I work, in maybe quality work, it, dealing with our supply chain, dealing with a company that's over 100 years old? What are some of your all tips for navigating that as I continue to grow? 
Thank you for that question. If, uh, if Does anybody want to take that? I would say the biggest tip that I have for you is showing grace and humility. Um, there's sh sharks out there. We know they're out there. Knowing who they are, identifying them is important. But when I tell you don't become the shark, I think that's really important. And I think coming from a place of grace and dignity when we are dressing people and where there's, you know, uh, inequities, we want to be the change to unite people rather than divide them. We want to educate folks, you know, where there's ignorance. And so just knowing that and, and you know, I'm a God-fearing woman, knowing that you want to have that dignity and grace with others, I think that that is important because we cannot, we cannot go to that, uh, that level with those injustices. We have to, we have to go high. That's my biggest, my biggest tip to you. I would actually add some more to that as well. Um, so, and I, and I do apologize if I cut you off, but I, know you're um, I will say one of the big things that I had discovered during my time was being the change you want to see, mm. especially when everything looks like it's stacked against you. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as sitting that person down and raising their level of awareness because I think I attended a training at Boeing called Micro Inequities, not realizing there are minor things that were messing with my head that I didn't realize were messages being put back on me. Um, but I actually tackled it head on by having an open dialogue. I used our staff meetings to have these conversations so that there was a level of awareness. And when there are injustices being publicly put on display and no one in the room is even speaking on it, call it to their attention. Hey, got three people on the team who does phenomenal work and not anyone here has recognized what they've done to date. I will go advocate for whoever is the quietest in the room, knowing that they bring more value than the folks that like to boast about their accomplishments, not realizing what they really did in the project. So be that advocate, be that change agent, and be that voice. Sarah, did you want to add anything? Oh, I've got lots to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is just like, look at, look at Christina, who, who worked her way up from where she started to now leading, being the executive leader of the Mesa site and the leader of attack helicopters. And you know that she is the kind of leader who thinks about others because of the experiences she's had in her life, hoping a leader would you know, speak up in the right moment, hoping a leader would do the right thing. She knows what that is, feels like. So you know she's going to be one of those leaders who does it. So I don't know that that's advice. But um, I would say always ground yourself in the why and remember that your strength is this experience and compassion you build because it enables you to make the best decisions for the good of the people. And when you're making a decision that is grounded in your why so concretely and so confidently, that gives you courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you We're rooting for you. <laughs> We have time uh, for another question. Good morning. My name is Lisa Russell. Um, I am in the federal space, uh, so it's a little different than corporate, but it still has the yeah. same or similar politics. My question for the panel is, um, what do you do when your shark looks like you, but you cannot figure out like the political power and political pull that that person has in that environment to even be able to figure out like where to step out to find potential allies. 
Great question. Uh, who would like to take that one first? Um, I feel like I should. <laughs> because I've had one too many experiences of that in my, my time. And I've seen more doors shut in my face as a result of someone that looked like me that didn't think I deserved it and didn't earn it the way they did. Mm. And I'm like, but I've already proven myself over and over on so many different levels, right? When you look at the allyship paradigm, assess where they sit in it and who are their equals at that level. That if those folks spoke on your behalf, that folks around the room needs to listen. And I go through it in an unconventional way. So I'm one of those people where I may not be able to get in front of you during the office time, but I will come to these events strategically knowing there's an opportunity for me to engage with you informally and build a rapport. So in my 18 years at Boeing, whether Boeing is sponsoring me to go, I go on my own, or I find a way to be part of the planning team that puts on the show so I'm part of it anyways, I've made my presence known in the room. By year five, there are folks sitting at VP and president and CEO levels that knew me on a first name basis that would come looking for me. And I'm here doing something completely different on the conference agenda or at the event agenda or at the, the, the site event that we're planning. You're like, hey, is Madeline here? So I know I've at least got someone at the table in the room where I'm not advocating for me. And note, when you come at it with facts and data, and not emotion. I know sometimes I, I, can, I can start crying in a heartbeat, not realizing that it hurts so deeply that tears are the only way I can express it. But facts and data and record of success will change the narrative. Thank you for that. Uh, Christina, did you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. And sometimes we do have folks who look at like us who aren't advocating. And I'll tell you, there's a conversation to be had. And I think it's so important that we all are advocating for each other more than we do and not seeing um, each other as competition, right? And how do we uplift each other? And I, th I think that's a conversation to be had. And it's gonna take courage, right? Mm -hmm. Tough conversations take a lot of courage. Uh, but my advice to you is have that conversation and come from a place of you know, respect and dignity. And um, I wish you all the best. And I know it's, I know it's gonna be tough, but I, I think uh, you gotta have that conversation. One thing I wanted to add for really fast on that, um, one thing that I root myself in is say what I mean without saying it mean. Right, um, and we have to address I'm the sharks. That, yeah. <laughs> say what you mean without saying it mean. And, and sometimes we give each other the hall pass when certain things are taking place. Mm -hmm. And we have to address every shark the same, right? And I think you can have an even more candid conversation when they look the same. I've noticed that during these times, you respond in these ways, yeah. right? Am I reading that wrong, or is there something that we need to talk about, right? Because for me, it's, I need, I'm really firm on, are, you, are we on the same team? I would love for us to be on the same team. Let's make that happen, right? But if we're not, then I need to know that too, right? Yep. So it's not how you say it, but it's, it's not what you say, but how you say it, you know, but have the conversation because once you understand that they're never going to be an ally for you, then you, it, you don't have to worry about that heartbreak. You're like, I see who you are, yep. cool, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm 
going to find someone else, right? That's but right. you have to have the conversation, no matter who it is, no matter what they look like. But again, it's how we have our practice. If you need somebody to practice with before, sometimes high-state conversations, we can't just go in and have them. We need to strategically think about them, play it off with somebody else to see how they feel or how you can reword it. But you'll always be ruminating on that if you don't have it. And, and so that's part of your well-being in the workplace. You deserve that conversation. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Jaleese Giles. I'm an operations lead at SAIC. And one of my issues, I identify change. I identify risks in operations, and I bring up change. And I'm soft-spoken, so sometimes the conversation gets turned. And I always wonder, and I, what is a phrase or something you could say to refocus back to the change that is needed rather than letting the sharks take over the room? Great question. So, yeah. Sarah, I want to start? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, you know, that find your why, the statement of find your why, for me, that is really so powerful. And I think a lot of times the sharks start swimming when it's not clear what's in it for, for them or for the business. Um, and if, and also for us to root ourselves in, why is this change important? This isn't about me and this isn't about them. This is about making something better for right now and for the future. And it's hard to argue with a why like that. So I, I have found it um, really empowering to crisply articulate the why behind something. It's not about me. It's not because I'm right. It's because of this. Um, and I find that that gives me a lot of courage to, to, to continue swimming amongst those sharks. Yeah. Nice. That's great. Anybody else? Are we good? OK, thank you for that. You hit that one. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. OK, we we can take this last question really fast. Hi, I'm a technical project manager at Ford, so a little oh. bit different from, not from Ford. <laughs> um, my question is related to new or uh, young uh, leads that have no experience or very little experience. And as you touched upon that you have to identify your sharks, how do you do that at that stage? Because sometimes you're an ind individual contributor and you don't know, there's no one else to compare to how your senior management is behaving with you versus somebody else. So how do you understand that that's a shark, it's a red flag, you need to address it right away? Great question. Would one of you like to take that and then we'll? Yeah, immediately, I was just going back to some of the things that you talked about. You know, you know when someone's just tolerating you. Mm. You know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. You know when uh, someone says something slighted and you're like, did they? Did they just say that? <laughs> you tried it. Right? You, you, can, you can feel those things. And, and, and I think, you know, the conversation that we've had already is, is don't try to brush those things under the rug. You know, if those things are happening, they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be happening. We should be able to go to work every day and feel good about what we do and who we work with and be free from all of these injustices. And I'll tell you, 26 years, I've had a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a lot. And, and those things hurt. And, and, you know, I was just talking to my husband. He's here with me. He's great sport. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's one, and, and Becky and I talk about this all the time, and Lydia. You know, there's one that hurts me to my core on my hair. And so often I hear, your hair isn't professional, right? 
That's slighted, right? Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to go through that. This is me. And we should be able to bring our whole self to work every day, full stop, period. Period. Something I think us women tend to forget that we have that clearly alerts us to the flags, it's the female intuition. Mm. You already know that there's a flag That's where right. you try to <laughs> rationalize it out your head that it must be you. Listen to your inner voice and dig at it. See, maybe I need to go through that process. Is, was that really what I heard? Did y'all hear the same thing? Let's have a conversation. Help me understand what did I do wrong. Mm -hmm. Help me see how I can improve it and work on it. Now, if it hasn't changed and it continues and you clearly see this as a, you got to figure, figure this out. But yeah. your intuition tells you a lot. And I say, listen to it. Yes. And I would just say, get the, get the memo. Yeah. Uh, that'll help. So, uh, <laughs> that'll help. Uh, thank you so much to the panelists. Thank you so much.